And welcome to another edition of Across the County. I'm Noah. Thanks for joining me. Well, the summer of nonprofits continues here on Across the County. Something that was very near and dear to my heart was shining a light this summer on the nonprofits that make a difference, especially a couple of legacy updates, ones that I've talked to off and on over the years and that have also made an impact on the community. And if you're talking legacy updates, there's no better than the 5% 5% project. That's the number 5%project.com if you want to check them out. So even though they are not for profit organization currently seeking 501c3 status and don't have that tax exempt banner that comes through registration, it's irrelevant to their mission, to their reality, and hopefully they'll be able to have that income to be able to move that forward in the year to come. So go to their website, make a donation, go to their shop at the number 5%project.com, buy some merch, help their organization get to the next level. The number 5%project.com, this nonprofit, want to get them to 501c3 status, and they absolutely cannot take this nonprofit to the next level without your support. Well, who are they? That's probably what you're asking yourself. Well, they're a neutral, nonviolent, nonpartisan gathering of people who hold wildly different political agendas, but they come together to stop the current fight and flight practice of politics and seek to form a more perfect union. Where have I heard that before? Oh, that's what this country stands for. America, right? A more perfect union, establish justice and ensure domestic tranquility. And of course, Co-founder is good friend of mine, one William Sylvanius. He's also the grand poobah of uh, all things rhetoric and all things intellectually honest. It's one of the reasons I have him on the show. William Sylvanius, also a speaker, change architect, coach. Welcome back to the show, my friend. I love talking with you. Oh, I always enjoy having a chance to chat together. Well, I thought... Given the temperature in the room of our country right now, it would be really good if people especially want to follow along as we talk about the 5% project at the number 5%project.com. If we went over some of the policy statements, and before we hit them individually real quick for a couple of minutes, tell us the passion about why you feel you became part of founding the 5% project and what it stands for. Why is it here? Well, the the 5% project grew out of just the the national conversation we have. But for me personally, it goes back just a little bit further. I wrote a book here a while back. Uh, It's a thriller. It's actually about homelessness. I was trying to get a message across that they're human. And I was at uh, an award ceremony where I was waiting to see if I would get the first place or not. I didn't, but anyway. Uh, And I just felt like God, if I'm allowed to say this, I just felt like God said, this is what's happening in our politics. People are being treated as labels. This is what's wrong, causing all the division. So as things heated up, uh, I contacted a couple of my former students, so to speak, and they, I said, you know, I really think we need to do something about this. And uh, they said, yeah, we want to be a part of it. So what we did is we said we're going to tackle being part of the 5%. I'd read a book called This is an Uprising. I know that sounds scandalous. It's by Mark and Paul Engler. But what it was said is that People with a message like uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, Nande, those are big names everybody knows, there's others. They studied them and never had there been a case when 5% of the people took the message as their own and started standing for it, that that new message didn't come about. 
So that's where we came up with, you know, what we wanted was the more perfect union to establish justice and ensure domestic tranquility. We want the conversation to become a conversation again. Another couple, three words we often use, we want cooperation, uh, respect, and dialogue in order to have problem solving. I, I, gosh, I love what you just said, because it seems like (laughs) you used to be, I mean, even just as soon ago as when I was growing up as a child, I got actually politics pretty early on. I loved Ronald Reagan growing up, just the great communicator that he was and is remembered for. But it seemed like you could talk. Okay, at the dinner table, it was like, okay, you don't talk politics. It was something that was just kind of cliche, as it were. But you could talk politics with your friends, with your family. It really wasn't looked down on. And even if you did, you could have a conversation about it. It seems like now you absolutely cannot. It's shunned upon. And if you do, it's not a conversation. It's an all-out heated argument, William. Yeah, and that, it, it comes to the place where people were afraid to say anything for fear they would get trounced on. And that was on both sides of the issue and independence in the middle. Everybody was just like, oh, we can't talk. And yet everybody was concerned. I said, this can't be the way we do politics. And, you know, we're the people. We're supposed to be the ones who do the talking. And then how can you represent us if you don't have a feeling what we're saying? And so we kind of got to the point, uh, at least amongst our my friends and family, that it's like, you know, don't tell me how to think. And don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to believe or what to say. We wanted to be able to speak for ourselves and have someone listen. One of the things is we've gotten as, as a nation, we've gotten to the point where we expect this to happen with politics. We expect them to do it the way they're doing with all the division and things. So we want to change the expectation of the American people to know we expect it to happen this healthy way. And it's very healthy. And that's where right now I think we're going to go over the six policy statements because they all really point to what is going on today and what I believe in my core, William, I know you believe them as well, of course, as co-founder of the project, that this is what it's going to take to get this country back. So let's go over these individually. First of all, we want, and that's at the 5% project, we want we the people to be the rightful masters of Congress, the administration, and the courts, not to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow the individuals who pervert the Constitution. For me, that is an important statement in and of itself because perverting the Constitution, it seems like that is exactly what is trying to be attempted on both sides of the aisle today. That's what we are seeing. Uh, Again, this goes back to the preamble of the Constitution. It starts, we the people. This is we the people who set this system up. It is we the people who are the rightful masters of the system. That's why we kind of use that word. We borrowed some of the strength of it from other peoples and put it together as our own. But, yeah, the Congress doesn't own us. The administration isn't our boss. The courts aren't our bosses. They're representative of us to do government in a good and a sane way, according to the thoughts that we think of how government should act, as outlined in the Constitution. But when that happens, when it's got turned upside down, like so much it seems to be that it's turned upside down, we want to get that taken care of. And we want the people who keep preaching it the other way to, uh, to be out of power. 
That's the way that it should be. If you're not serving America, if you have your own political agenda that's outside of the country, you should be ousted. Second thing you guys want there at the 5% Project is we want an amendment to the Constitution that limits the terms for senators and representatives. And what I love about this, regardless of whether he gets the nomination or not, it's being talked about. So this is important. Trump has recently propose this he says in 24 if i win this is what's going to happen the fact that he's talking about it that makes me happy that this is even being considered yeah there is some uh, uh a slightly growing push this way outside of we the people i'm hearing it more again coming and i don't can't name names for you but out of federal level of things uh, in the, especially in the legislature where there's those who are saying you know there's some sense in this But the big core underneath of this is the longer people hold power, it's just human. The longer you hold power, the more you are likely to think you become indispensable, that you are the one who knows how to do things. And so you get that sort of, you may not even intend it, but you get that arrogance. Power is addictive and you can't let it go. And because that's a human part of us, that's what we are partly by nature, then we want to limit that by saying no. You can only do it for this long. I think it would take away of some of those inner party conflicts and uh, squabbles because you're not there long enough to learn how to manage the rules in a way that allows you to try and put your party into power on everything. And you have to do the other because this is going to change faster. 100%. And it seems like it's always constantly changing just when you think you've got a handle on how things are happening william that the game has changed the very next day it just seems like that's the state of politics these days well they've got us where they can change the rules they write the rules that's constitutionally allowed and so we don't complain about that but they've gotten to the point where they write the rules and other to hurt other people or shut off a needed discussion they can change those rules at any minute that they want as long as they have a majority Well, this next one, I mean, you see some of it on like C-SPAN, C-SPAN 2, all the different incarnations of that channel, but I don't think it's as detailed as what you guys list, and I would love to see this. Number three, we want all committee meetings in the Senate and the House of Representatives to be open and telecast unless involving national security, that's very wise, with transcripts and recordings of meetings available for public access through the Library of Congress. I mean, this is transparency. This is every American should know what's going on at every level of government all the time. And right now, I would dare say it's exactly the opposite. We don't even know what's in it. <laughs> well, and sometimes the representatives and the senators don't know what's in things either. <laughs> like when they were trying to pass Obamacare and Nancy Pelosi said, we have to pass the bill to find out what's in it. How backwards is that? <laughs> Well, and people go to a committee, but the things that are going to happen in the committee have been decided in the caucuses. And so they come to the committee, they don't have any more knowledge, particularly what's happening than than we do. Now, it's not that bad in all the committees, but a lot of it goes that way because of power structures. But you use the correct word, the one we're wanting. We're wanting transparency. And the only way we know to have transparency is to be always on the line that you're on public access somehow. And then... You're also going to be recorded exactly the way it was so that people can go back and search it up and say, I think you said that. And I can go back and say, yeah, or you come out and say, no, I didn't say that. You can go back, you know, here in this transcript of that meeting, you said this, this and this in the context of that and that. That does say that. I think that's going to hold a lot more 
senators and congressmen accountable because I, I think sometimes they're questioned, hey, you said this, and then they'll say, oh, I never said it, and, you know, people move along. Well, you, now there would be record of that. Right. Now, I do want to give credit where credit's due. There are records made of a lot of the different things. We just want it more deeply into the inner structure of things. Oh, sure. And also, Library of Congress is usually the place where you can find all of the records that are being made now. So it's not like nothing's happening. We just want to make it all the way back to the as far into the conversation as we can get our hands on. Oh, sure. Especially, again, if you said if it's on media. So if there's some type of an audio or video that people can watch whenever there's something happening, I mean, that's going to do wonders and hold people accountable to the ninth degree. Yeah. Can you imagine you're talking to somebody, your family or friends or something, and you say, hey, I just saw this on the telecast. This committee just said X, Y, Z. Yeah, you can go pick it up and you can show them right to go in here, listen for themselves. Knowing that we could quickly tap into things, I think uh, we'd be more likely to. Yeah. But then I'm optimistic. Number four, (laughs) we want to make it illegal for caucuses and legislators to influence a candidate's election through financial support, gifts and other donations. Well, I mean, I think this one, it might not be the most important one, but I think this is the biggest one in terms of, I mean, this just happens each and every election. And it could be a, a game changer as far as who ends up sitting and in political office, William. In fact, there is this expectation that once you get to our federal Congress, that your peers, whether you're on the side with them or not, are there to help make sure that people there get to stay there. There is huge, huge amounts of money. I uh, wasn't preparing for this, but the other day I ran into something where there was several million more going into one of those political caucuses uh, campaign funds. And I'm going like, wait a minute, (laughs) this isn't right. This means they have the power to influence who even gets out there, what's said about it. They get to manipulate us through the advertisements they pay for, all of that. And we want that to come out of us as people. We want that to come, you know, through us. And oh, this always keeps, you know, gets knocked down every time something gets written into law. They find a way around it. But we're saying, let's not give up. Let's make it illegal for some of step. And we include endorsing another candidate. And that sounds a little more radical. We haven't put it as radically down in our writing. But we don't think that active legislators should be in the campaign supporting one or another a candidate. Yeah, I think you and I have briefly talked about this before, and I think it's interesting to talk about because, for instance, take anybody that is in current office and let's say so, let's say Governor Ron DeSantis. Let's just pick one out of the hat because he's had tremendous success in Florida. Uh, he's running for president. Should he endorse somebody? He's going to have a lot of that candidate's going to have a lot of clout specifically on the shoulders of Ron DeSantis, not because of anything he's done. I think personally, that skews things a little bit. We very definitely agree with that. You don't want that kind of what do you call it? Peer pressure being created is they're not rock stars. They're not television stars or something like that. We're, we're not looking for them to say, oh, here's the next best book. Here's the next best movie. Here's a great actor. We're wanting that to be put and demonstrated by the candidate themselves. Yeah, demonstrate it by the candidate, what they bring to the table, what they can do, how they can do it. That should be what the election of that person or people is all about. I agree. Totally. <laughs> yep. We're on the same page on that one, as we are most of the time. William William Sylvanius here. On Across the County, talking about the 5% Project, the number 5% project.com. 
go there. And right now we're going over the policy statements because they're really integral with what's going on in today's political culture. And the temperature of the room is, I mean, it's getting really heated. And we're trying to bring things down to a neutral point where people can actually have political discussion, learn something, be for the better, and then vote for the right people. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Number five, we want the body of and any amendments or additions to legislation to be directly related to the initial topic of the document. Oh, my goodness, William, what a what a concept that if the bill is for something, it should go towards that something not. It seems like whether it's covid or whether it was money over to Ukraine. I mean, you pick your topic you would dig into the weeds and you would find something completely unrelated to what that bill was. If it was sending money somewhere, that money was not going there. It was going somewhere else. And the same thing comes with amendments. It has to specifically be for what it is targeted to, or it doesn't really belong in the process to begin with, because all it is doing, it's undercutting the United States citizen. I agree. And right now, a lot of things, they they have to wait until there's something that everybody can at least pull part, bipartisanly behind. And then they start popping in these amendments, these additions, these changes in, in wording. That, that Sometimes they totally rewrite the original bill. Sometimes the original bill is just fluff out there and they've agreed and that just becomes the instrument to bring other things to the table. They take bills that they propose and they put them on as amendments to other bills that have nothing to do with the thing they want. It's just crazy. Yeah, I just, I don't see where it helps us. Uh, and I, it's just, it's being manipulated so much that it's like, this is how we sneak things through, like you say, without the people really knowing what's happening and having a chance to say much about it. And you then you'll have certain political figures, like one of my favorites is Congressman Andy Biggs out of Arizona. And for instance, he'll take a bill and he'll read the entire thing before making his decision on it. And this is something that which actually goes in the number six, which is we want no legislation in the form of a bill or amendment to be enacted without enough time for each voting member of Congress to thoroughly read and question any part thereof. This would help tremendously. And if people like Congressman Andy Biggs from Arizona did this, it would I mean, things would be so streamlined for the most part. Of course, things are going to happen. And I think you would have votes that are maybe cast in an opposite direction because you would have that congressman, that senator going, this isn't something that I want. But if they're not reading it, it just sounds good on the surface. Yeah. And, I, you know, this kind of fits with one of the other ones up there about uh, the open meetings and things. If this is in writing where they can read it and that process is open to us, that means we can read it before they vote on it. Exactly. And then there's going to be a lot more pressure. Let's say Bill A passes. There might be a lot more pushback from the public because they really know what's in it. And it's going to hold the feet to the fire of anybody that's voting on this measure. There was a real case that kind of illustrated this one recently. Um, Oh, the lady out of Colorado, I believe, Marjorie... Marjorie Green, Taylor Greene. Yeah. When they did this last thing with uh, raising the debt ceiling, there was a piece in there that a lot of the conservative caucus didn't really want in there. She didn't even realize it was in there. She said afterwards, well, 
I didn't even know what I was voting on. And yeah, yeah, that's and that's why I brought up actually uh, Congressman Andy Biggs. He read the entire thing, and I forget how long that it was, but there was a lot of people that voted on it. They didn't read it. It's like, how can you take literally what is going on in America? It's going to affect every single citizen in this country, and you're voting on it, and you're not reading it. I agree. I just blows my mind well that's where we're at and that's why that is why the five percent project is such a critical organization and i want people to jump on board the number five percent project.com now we're unfortunately we always run out of time william but i want to do (laughs) two things i want to point out that people can go to the website there's a tab on there that says the swan who found out she was an ugly duckling that's actually speaking about nancy pelosi and thank goodness she's gone now no longer speaker of the house but the message of that video is so important and you really put yourself out there because it's about tactics of narcissists and also exaggeration of titles and descriptors, which you see so much of in politics today. So I want people to go there. I want people to check that out. That's the number five percent project.com. Get to the tab that says the swan who found out she was an ugly duckling. Let William know about it because it's brilliantly done. I want to get 90 seconds because that's about all we have time for because this is important, William. Got to get your opinion. The indictment today of former President Trump, it's unprecedented. It's a dangerous path, if you ask me. But I want people to hear me out. This is not because I'm a Trump fan, because this isn't about Democrat. It's not about Republican. It's not about conservative. It's not about liberal. But this is about trying a president sitting or former president of the United States in federal court, which has never happened in American history before. And it's happening right now. He declassified documents, but they're using this against him in all types of which ways, shapes, and forms. And the Constitution, if you ask me, is what is at stake here, William? And some say that it's not fair. It's a double standard. It's not about the double standard. It's about that they are trying a former president in federal court. What are your thoughts on this? My thoughts are is that both sides of the parties are guilty. They're guilty of allowing things to happen that set this up. Mr. Trump should probably not have taken some of those things that were at Margolay with him. He probably shouldn't have delayed if that's what, in fact, they find out that he did. But then again, neither should a person who has potential skin in the game, what am I trying to say, who was going to be on the Supreme Court and then he didn't make it. And now he's in charge of this investigation, so to speak, of the, with a man who is the one whose candidate got taken. That's kind of like, uh, yeah, is it? How do you allow this? But it goes back that both sides set it up so that they were doing things that made this now happen. It just processes broke down, good government broke down, and they pushed it and pushed it. And so that they no longer were trying to solve it another way. They're trying to solve it in a way which I agree with you wholeheartedly puts a lot of things in danger. Next time you can have. If Biden is out and the others are in, there's things they're going to be able to charge him for. It's going to become possibly, well, if you just based on history, it's going to be repeated, 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 repeated. It's going to be repeated because all it's going going to take is, okay, this is somebody of the opposite persuasion that I am. So guess what? Now we're going to go after him because you can do that now. And that is where I think the precedent is gosh, I I don't even know if there's a way that this can turn out, but the fact that it's happening now means it's most likely going to happen again, and that's what concerns me, William, and it sounds like you agree with that. I agree with that 
wholeheartedly. And I don't know if there's a way we can prevent it, but if so, we need some good brains to come together and some good ideas to pop up, and we need to get those put in place to stop this. Speaking of good brains and good things to be put in place, it can all start for you if you join the 5% Project, the neutral, nonviolent, nonpartisan gathering of people, even if you hold different views. Well, that's why they want you there at the 5% Project. Co-founder William Sylvanius, go to the number 5%project.com, the number 5%project.com. Find out more about it, join it, be a part of the discussion. And William, thanks so much for coming on, breaking down uh, so much today. I mean, we got to a little bit, I think, in a nutshell of what's happening with former President Trump. We talked about the policy statements of the 5% Project, which are very important because of the temperature of today's politics. And I think people gained a lot from today. I certainly hope so. I felt really great here being able to put these things out and to say them publicly to the people, hey, here's our thinking uh, and hope you have some agreement with us. And like you say, come along and be a part of us and help shape our next steps. Godspeed, my friend. Thanks for stopping by. And you most certainly know this is not the last time we're having you on the show. We will return to our rhetoric discussion soon, which I'm sure people are excited about. And go ahead and continue to make change, my friend, because that's what you do so well. Thank you and uh, look forward to it. Noah here and across the county, the number 5%project.com.